mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil, and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Saul said, How can I go? Saul, I'm sorry, but Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about me and kill me. The Lord said, Take an ephor with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to sacrifice, and, I'll, and I will show you what to do. You are, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did, not, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived to Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled, and when they met him, they asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Okay. Lord says to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I've got a job for you, Samuel. And that is, I've selected a king for myself among the sons of Jesse. You need to go anoint him. Now, God selected for the people, Saul. But now he's going to select for himself a king, a king that fits his criteria, not the people's standards. But what does Samuel say about fulfilling that mission? He fears Saul. You know, it is a little hazardous to anoint a king when there's already a king. The, uh, act, the uh, present king might not be too pleased about that. There wasn't actually a vacancy, at least not in Saul's eyes. So he says, Saul, here's what I'm doing. He'll kill me. What does the Lord say? Yes. You go and take an animal and you sacrifice it. And you invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And, and if anybody hears that you've been there, you can tell them you offered a sacrifice. Uh, that's kind of ironic. Saul's downfall was really connected with sacrifices, wasn't it? You know, that he offered the sacrifice when he should have waited for Samuel, but they spared the animals to sacrifice, so it's going to be in connection with the sacrifice that God, through Samuel, will anoint Saul's successor. Uh, that's sort of ironic. So he goes to Bethlehem. Obviously, Samuel has great stature. They're a little worried when Samuel comes. Is everything okay? He said, yes, I want to offer a sacrifice. And he invites Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. Comments and thoughts on this passage? It was interesting that he says, he comes to Samuel, I'm not entirely sure what to make of it, where he says, how long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him. It's like, I guess there's, like, there's a point that comes where you kind of, you, you move on. And you kind of let people give them over, like God, Romans 1, you know, just give them over to their passions. And, 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 and really it's time to move on. We need to select another king. <laughs> Just feeling bad over Saul is really not the, that's not being productive. That's not looking forward. Sometimes we need to press on. And I think that's the idea. Chris? I think this also helps interpret Saul's motives from earlier when we were trying to determine whether he was really repenting or whatever. Samuel sure didn't think so. That's right. Good point. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, it's pretty obvious even to sound very good. Yeah. Um, that is an interesting question. It's not the only time the Bible some things like that were said or done. What appears to be the case is that it is not necessary that I reveal everything when I ask a question. We have to think about that one a little bit because sometimes we feel like honesty requires absolute openness. That is not true. Think about this. What if somebody tells you something in confidence? And someone asks you about the conversation. Are you required to open up and tell everything you were told in confidence? In fact, you should not. Or what if you know something about a situation that if you were to tell it might be damaging, might be harmful, it, it might, it might uh, create strife. There are times when concealing is appropriate. Proverbs talks a lot about not speaking, the things we should not say. So absolute openness and revealing everything is not a virtue. That's not necessarily, there are times to be open, there's times to reveal, there are times not to reveal. We must never lie. Everything I say must be true. I have no right to say something that is not true. I do have the right and sometimes the responsibility not to reveal something. So, if Samuel offers a sacrifice in Bethlehem, and he's asked, what did you do in Bethlehem? And he says, I offered a sacrifice in Bethlehem. He has not lied. He has told the truth. Now, if you were to say, I did nothing in Bethlehem other than offer sacrifice, I think we'd say that was a lie. That was wrong. He could not do that. But we do have the right and sometimes the obligation to not reveal everything. I think that's what was happening here. That makes us a little uncomfortable, but that's the standard of righteousness. So if that's uh, what God says to do, then obviously that's the right thing. Another example of that is I think of Rahab and how Rahab is commended for, uh, or commended for her faith by God, even in Hebrews 11. Um, and she was the one, you know, hiding the spies and not revealing the whole truth. And, and I, I, I kind of think that she did even push it to a, the point of a lie. So what do you think of, as far as that? I don't think Rahab did the right thing in lying. Okay. I think she did the right thing in hiding the spies and trusting the Lord and acknowledging the Lord. Just because something's recorded in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean that that detail is approved by God. She's a pagan woman. She's not held to as high a standard. God blesses her for the good she did, even though I don't think God would have approved a lot. So I think that is different. So. Well, we're going to get to places in, later on in Samuel where Jonathan told David, you know, you go there because you're going to... And then I'll tell the father that you went to go do a sacrifice, but really you're going to stay, and then uh, I'll shoot arrows over your head, and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, we're going to get to more of these later on in this book. Yes. Well, some of these are lies and, yeah. and aren't right. What God authorized Samuel to do here is right. Yeah. And I'm thinking it's later in Jeremiah that this very same thing is done. 
Yeah, I was trying to find that. Where is that? I was looking at Jeremiah, but I, I can't remember right offhand uh, where that was. Oh, yeah, you're right. I think that's Jeremiah uh, in the 30s, right? Maybe. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it is 38, where Zedekiah says. Uh, <coughs> Yeah, that's something to do with Zedekiah. Read, read Jeremiah 38. I can't get that in my head at the moment. But Jeremiah 38 is another illustration where something was said that did not reveal all the things, but it was still not a lie at all because what was said was true. So it would be a parallel with this kind of a situation. Other comments, questions? Thoughts? Okay, so we've got... Samuel going there to offer a sacrifice and to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. Uh, would somebody read 6 to 13? When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's man is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. <coughs> then Jesse made Shalmah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the Lord and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So, we know, Samuel knows, He's supposed to anoint a son of Jesse as the king. Doesn't know which one. Sees the oldest. Assume, assumes that he looks like the next king. It's probably him. And God says, don't look at his appearance or how tall he is. That's interesting. What was Saul's major quality for being king? Uh, because I've rejected him. God doesn't look like man looks. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Throughout history, men have wanted their kings to look like kings, whether they knew anything about how to rule or not. God is concerned about the heart, not the appearance. Again, go back to so many things we can think about. We are worried about what things look like instead of what things are. We're worried about what we look like instead of what we are. We, we judge people and churches and all sorts of things on the basis of very external, superficial characteristics. This son looked like the king. Wasn't the one the Lord chose. So Abinadab came. Wasn't him either. Shammah. Wasn't him either. All seven passed before Samuel. Wasn't any of them. But God said it's going to be one of Jesse's sons, but it's not any of them. And so Samuel says, are these all the children? 
Well, here we may get the youngest in all these tending the sheep. No, he, he wouldn't be the one. He's a little. The kid that's out there taking care of the sheep while the other son's back before him. Well, Samuel says, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. And he comes in, and lo and behold, he's the one. God has this habit of choosing the least likely. The, the one that would, you would least think. I mean, hadn't even crossed Jesse's mind to send him through. You know, um, God loves to choose the least probable. First Corinthians 1, God chose the weak, the lowly, the not noble, etc. Um, so many things you could say about this. A couple of things kind of off of that. What was David doing when he was uh, uh, called to be king? Tending sheep. What was Saul doing when he was called to be king? Well, before that. Yeah, searching for straying donkeys. You know, and Saul becomes sort of a straying donkey, and David becomes a great pastor of God's flock. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, Interestingly, I think, of, there's so many duplicate names in the Bible, but I believe this is the only David that's in the Bible. Uh, so, uh, but, but I think just uh, think a little bit about God is not a respecter of age. One of the things that I see in the Bible that I think we need to see is that there is no reason why you have to wait till you're 30 before you start serving the Lord with all your heart. You know, we seem to have this idea that, you know, a little one like David, he can't be spiritually strong, he can't be used by God, but there's all kinds of examples of that in the Bible. We lower the bar way too much for young people. It's like, you know, if, if a young person manages to take a shower and you know, pass some trays out on Sunday morning without falling and, you know, breaking them. We think they're really strong and spiritual. <laughs> you know, God expects young people, old people, or any age people to be faithful servants of His, and He can use them. And so, God chose the one that nobody else would have thought about, as He so often does. It will be David, the next king. Yes? Um, question for you. What does this mean... Um when it says the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Um, we kind of see that later on in the chapter uh, when talking about Saul, when it says in uh, chapter 19, verse 9, a harmful spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and that, that happened several times. So what does that mean, the Spirit of the Lord? Well, it's the same thing that happened when Saul went with the prophets. The Spirit uh, came upon him right after he was anointed, so it's a similar process. I think God's Spirit, putting his Spirit into David to spiritually equip him to be able to be the king. Look, so are we talking about the Holy Spirit? Like I think so. Inspiration is I think so. Not necessarily that he's inspired at this point, but he has the Holy Spirit. Uh, it seems to me that the Spirit coming on Saul, being taken from Saul, being on David, is, is a sign of God's approval and selecting of him. So that in Psalm 51, David asks, God, I sin, but please don't take your spirit from me. In other words, don't take from me the, the kingship, your approval, your stamp, and, um, yeah. Okay. Other thoughts? Come. Yes, Interesting, David's training and being a shepherd. He's going to be having to shepherd a lot of people. So it, suits, people. it suits his role well. 
Yeah. Good point. Cameron? It's neat to see that um, even though he's not the man's standard for a king, he's still a beautiful young lad in the words here. And that God will bless you if you're doing good. I think that's really cool. Okay. Good point. All right, um, you know, this is uh, an interesting and really stark contrast to how Saul was choosing his men back in chapter 14. He went around choosing the mighty men of valor and the people who looked best suited for the job of strong, powerful men. But here comes this little kid who's been shepherding the sheep. You know, this is a field boy. And uh, so young and so small that, as you said, he's discounted entirely. Jesse thinks, well, of course, I'm not even going to bother David to take him out of the field for this. But here we see Israel's greatest king coming out of the man that God chose by the heart. Amen. Good point. Mike? I like what you said about, you know, it doesn't matter the age as far as, you know, being active and getting to work and serving for the Lord. I think there also is an idea that young people don't have wisdom. They can, they can, they can do a lot of good, they can get to work, but they, there's just no wisdom. And that comes with age completely. And I think that it's, isn't it Job where you know, he had three people coming kind of telling him what he might need to do, three of his uh, friends or whatever, and it was the youngest one who seemed to tell him the best thing and, you know, kind of actually comfort him. It was really because he was trusting in the Lord. And I think that's a, that's a good point for all of us that, you know, we can have wisdom and we can get to work and do a lot of good no matter the age or anything as long as we're trusting in God. Good point. Very helpful. Yeah. I'm just kind of miffed why in the world that the description of David is, he's mentioned as being, you know, very handsome and very, you know, elegant in appearance. When, he's, when God said earlier, hey, don't look at his face, don't look at what he looks like, and then he tells us what he looks like. This story would be better if we didn't know that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> find the word elegant with his appearance. He was a nice looking kid. He was a kid. Uh, said about a lot of people, I don't know uh, what to make out of that, but he was a little you know, he, Saul was tall. David was little. You know, so if you're thinking about a warrior, do you want a nice-looking lad? Or do you want a rugged, tall man of valor? You know, I'm not sure this is something that's necessarily a recommendation for David from the world standpoint for that role. You know, that, that'd be what I would think. Look. While we're talking about his appearance, what does that mean? Does that just mean, like, scrawny? Or? No, nice-looking. Handsome, you know, nice looking face. Maybe about his appearance here might be kind of a divine, mind you, it's not an inverse relationship, physical appearance and spirituality. Well, that's certainly true. Not sure that's the point, but that's that's certainly true. Alex? I love verse 7 because it really, you know, helps us to uh, give us the opportunity to examine ourselves. Why do we make the friends we make or decide to date the girls or boys that we date? You know, are we doing it because they look good? Are we are we basing it on appearance? Or are we really, you know, looking at their heart and deciding these are good people that I want to be around because they're going to help me get to heaven? Good point, Stephen. Yeah, I'm just trying to make sense of the, the appearance thing. I, I, we're told the same thing about Joseph uh, right before he's tempted by Potiphar. We're told the same thing about Daniel and his friends uh, before they're tested. And David's certainly going to be tested. He's going to, you know, fall uh, to Bathsheba later. Um, so I don't know. There's an interesting connection there maybe because you're not told that about many people in the Bible 
I don't have a good answer to that. We can uh, we can ponder on that. Maybe somebody's got a good answer. I think we'll go ahead and break here. If you've got some more comments, we'll do them after lunch. But we do need to do that. Uh, probably won't uh, disappoint any of you. Although I appreciate great attention. All.